Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good Monday morning to you. It is the seventh of November, twenty twenty-two. Here's a few things. Billy Graham's birthday. Yeah, that's kind of a fun little factoid for the day. It's also election eve. It's the eve of the 2020 blood moon. Uh, yeah, there you go. All right. Um, so on the topic of um, Billy Graham's birthday. So across the street from the Billy Graham Library in Charlotte, North Carolina, opening today on what would have been Billy Graham's birthday? I mean, it is his birthday, but, you know, it's, you know, this is how we're celebrating it now. So they have pulled together literally his entire, like the entire, what they're calling a documentary record of his life and work. So every sheet of paper, every recording, every document that they have um, is now available in the Billy Graham archive. And it opens today across the street from the Billy Graham Library in Charlotte, North Carolina. So I thought that was kind of a fun little factoid today. And tomorrow morning um, is, I mean, like early, early in the morning, um, is you'd be able to see the blood moon, which is the full lunar eclipse all across North America. Um, And, you know, people say you got to get up pretty early to see it. But, you know, here's the fact. If you're up listening to me, you're up early enough to see it. How cool is that? There you go. Mm Mm-hmm. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day here at Faith Radio, which you can sign up for at MyFaithRadio.com, um, is Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I want to reflect for the moment on um, consumer debt, right? Is your consumer debt rising these days? Has it risen recently? As inflation sort of eats away at the buying power of every dollar, um, Americans, North Americans, actually people everywhere around the globe, are relying more and more heavily upon credit, which means we're accruing debt. So here's a couple little debt notes for today. According to Bankrate.com, which uses like an aggregate of all of the credit reporting services to come up with their numbers, Um, As of September 2022, so this is now a couple of months old, the average consumer debt here in the United States of America was a little over $96,000 per person. So, you know, all told, we were like six and a half trillion in debt. This is is just consumer debt. Mortgages, student loans, credit card balances, car loans, store credit, personal debt. Okay, so that's personal debt. This is what we're hauling around with us, an average of... $96,371 in consumer debt per person. That's a lot. Um, But you add to that, add to that the $31 trillion in debt that we bear together as we the people. So in 2017, you know, our shared debt load as Americans um, was like half that. 
a little over 14 trillion. Now it's over 31 trillion. That's a lot of debt we're hauling around. A lot we owe. A lot we owe. So um, how do we bear that? How do we bear a debt that's, frankly, for many people, too big to pay? You hear a lot today about student loan forgiveness, or you hear, um, or we were hearing ad companies offering uh, to help us, like, refinance our mortgage because, you know, rates were at historic lows. Yeah, that's not, you're not going to hear those anymore. But you are going to hear ads for companies offering to help you restructure your debt, um, help you get out of debt, help you, you know, avoid all kinds of penalties and interest and da-da-da-da-da. So, um. I think you're going to also begin hearing ads for bankruptcy attorneys and headlines about people defaulting on all kinds of debt. So when we think about debts we cannot pay, things we owe but debts we cannot pay, today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day is offered by God as just grace. The wages of sin, the debt we owe, too great to pay. Costs us our very life, everything we are and have. Still too much to pay. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Free gift of God. While we were yet sinners, while we owed a debt we could not pay on our own, God, in his grace, demonstrates his love for us. While we were yet sinners, while we still bore a debt we could not pay, something upon which we were in total default in terms of our ability um, to be reconciled, Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. So today, as you face the challenges that we're all facing together in this economy, let me invite you to lean hard into Jesus and thank God for his amazing grace and be willing to invite other people into this incredible knowledge that in the same way that our friends over at um, RIP Medical Debt pay off debts people cannot pay and liberate them from the burden of medical debt, like there's an opportunity for us as Christians to say, you know, God has on your behalf paid it all. No strings attached. This free gift of God, his grace in Jesus Christ, um, no strings attached. It's free to you because it cost him everything. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Again, I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. If you have not done so already, let me encourage you to download the Faith Radio app. Why? Well, because then you can take us everywhere. Like I'd be available to you, you know, anywhere, everywhere, all the time. And you could share it with other people as you feel so led by the Lord. There you go. Download the Faith Radio app today. Today is an eve. Like every day is technically like an eve, but this is an eve of election day. And so um, mm-hmm. this is the day the Lord has made. We're going to rejoice and be glad in it. And tomorrow, God willing, and our expectations be that we're going to awake tomorrow as well. Um, 
Tomorrow will be a day that the Lord has made. But, you know, if you're listening to political commentators or pretty much anybody in the media, like they're 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 acting as if like this is a you know, this is this is like the eve of either the advent of all things great or the apocalypse of all things bad. So let me just invite everybody to take a deep breath. Yes, should we be voting? Absolutely, 100%. For those of you who um, heard the conversation that we had with Kathy Brenzel last week from the National Day of Prayer Task Force, um, one of the websites she encouraged folks to access is myfaithvotes.org. Um, if you're looking for, you know, like everybody that's on the ballot, sample ballots from your own um, voting area and um, some Christian reflections on candidates, myfaithvotes.org is one place you could you could turn and look. If you need a little help today with that. Um, but I'm reading a headline from uh, MSN that, that says this. It's an existential midterm election. Christian prophets become GOP surrogates. All right. So, you know, that, that pushes a lot of my buttons. Anytime anybody su- suggests that something is existential, I'm probably going to pause for a moment. Anytime somebody suggests that there are Christian prophets of any kind, I'm probably going to pause a moment and check that out. And if you're going to suggest to me that Christians have become... Um, partisan political surrogates. I'm definitely pausing to take note um, because I'm going to furrow my brow and probably have a critical eye toward that. So let's pause just for a moment on the term existential. What happens tomorrow in the 2022 midterm elections in the United States of America is important. It's certainly important, but it pales in comparison to what took place yesterday in churches around the world. I mean, let's get a little perspective on what is and isn't existential, what is and isn't of eternal uh, value, what is and isn't of eternal significance. The 2022 midterm elections in the United States of America, so that's a point in time and a place in history. Yes. I mean, are they important? Yes, certainly. But they pale in comparison to What's going on when God's people gather together and bow down before him and say, we don't know what to do, but we look to you. We don't know what to do, but we look to you. We trust you. We rely on you. You are good and you are great. and We honor you. We worship you. We acknowledge you. We thank you. We bless you. Is it important to vote? Yes, absolutely. It's a freedom. It's a right. It's a privilege. We ought to exercise it. But if you're more concerned about being sure you vote than you are concerned that you're on your face before the Lord, your your priorities are out of order, disordered priorities. It's just plain and simple as Christians. So um, check yourself. Were you in the company of God's people yesterday, opening the word of God, lifting his name on high, bowing yourself before him, bringing your gifts um, to him to add to the gifts of others that it might be multiplied to his use? Like, are you a member of the body of Christ operating in the world today? Because that's our calling. That's our commission. That is the purpose for which we've been saved. Is it important to vote as a citizen of a country? Yes. Is it imperative to walk our faith out into the world that God so loves and do so in ways that honor Jesus? Absolutely. We are ambassadors of a king and a kingdom in the midst of a particular kingdom of this world. The particular kingdom that I happen to be a citizen of is the United States of America. 
but I'm a daughter of the living God, and I'm an ambassador of his kingdom. And I pray his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not just in the place that I live and for the span of time that I'm here, but everywhere and always. I am pressing forward the gospel, and I want you to be as well. So if you hear anybody refer to this uh, election as existential, you get them you get them to the existential questions that are really before us. Who are we? What in the world are we in the world to do? What is our mission? How are we on co-mission with Christ? Christ is coming again to judge the living and the dead. He's not coming as the president of a particular place. He's coming as a king of a kingdom that's eternal. So beware of false prophets today who come in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. Beware of them. Recognize them by their fruits. Partisan political surrogates who call themselves Christian prophets, beware, my friends, beware and be wary. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Whatever you do, just don't look back Somebody needs a lot to Somebody needs the light you have. Somebody needs the light you have. Uh, okay, before I jump to uh, this next thing, let me answer a listener on the text line. Remember, you can text me anytime during the show, 877-933-2484. Uh, listener in the 707 area code, which I would have to look up on a map. You know that one off the top of your head, Paul? 707. Uh, no, I don't. Good morning, 707. We don't really know where you're where you're texting in from, but we love that you're listening um, so good morning, 707 area code. The website that I uh, listened to, uh, or listened to, <laughs> referenced, myfaithvotes.org, myfaithvotes.org. Um, another one um, that if you're looking for some uh, nonpartisan Christian conversation, choosetruthovertribe.com. We've had those guys on, and I enjoyed our conversations with them uh, so choose truthovertribe.com if you're looking for some nonpartisan Christian conversation. Myfaithvotes.org if you're looking for sample ballots and um, I know how, how some Christians are reviewing candidates in your particular um, space. So Bill Maher um, is an American comedian. He's a writer. He's a political commentator. He's a television host. Um, and I'm not recommending that you watch his program. That's not what this is. Bill Maher has quite an audience and quite a following. And so when he talks about things being apocalyptic or when he talks about things being um, existential, there's a lot of folks that then will begin using that kind of language. And so um, he has a recent show during which uh, he's he's I mean, they're describing it as, you know, he goes apocalyptic over what is more than likely to take place in these midterm elections. 
But it was something else that he talked about. And now he has been saying on repeat that um, caught my attention. Bill Maher said, quote, according to Psychology Today, the average high school kid today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the early 1950s. The average high school kid today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the early 1950s. So you know me. I looked it up. Sure enough, he's right. But let me give you the date of the Psychology Today article that he's referencing. April 2008. In April 2008, Psychology Today reported, quote, the average high school kid today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the early 1950s. That was 2008. In March 2022, the Journal of American, um, the Journal of the American Medical Association, the Pediatrics Report, said that anxiety and depression among children ages 3 to 17 had increased over the last five years at an unprecedented rate. From 2016 to 2020, um, children, children um, and adolescents had a 27% increase in anxiety and a 24% increase in depression. By 2020, 5.6 million kids, that's that's nearly 10% of the juvenile population, was diagnosed with anxiety. And 4% had been diagnosed with depression. And that was 2019, 2016 to 2019. And and again, I mean, I'm just looking at these and I'm saying we're we're seeing year-over-year increases in anxiety and depression among our children, among our children. So we are going to spend a lot of time today talking about our kids. In In fact, the entire second hour is really devoted to resources for you and your families, for you and your church communities, for you and your neighborhoods, related to um, the the welfare of our children and what we can do to intervene. But I want to offer a place where you can can get hope, but a a resource that's really designed for students who are in crisis. And it's called the Hope Line. So it's just thehopeline.com, thehopeline.com. They've been helping students, um, children, adolescents, young adults in crisis by offering really sound advice and a place to connect for for 30 years. So they're not fly by night. They haven't, you know, they're not a Johnny come lately. And students can live chat with a hope coach 24 hours a day. And here's the beauty of it. It costs nothing. Because of faithful donors who have said, this is so important. I see a problem. I want to, I want to help there to be a solution. The hope line is available. So if you're a young person in crisis I want to invite you to go to the Hope Line, thehopeline.com. And if you've been um, if you've been praying for there to be help for students and kids and young people, it exists. And I want you to be praying for them today, praying for those who are um, making the Hope Line available. There is hope, and He has a name, and it is Jesus. And we need to be connecting the next generation to Him. Thank you so much for um, being here with me this morning. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen, and this is Faith Radio.
All right, 707 is a California area code, but our friend was texting us actually from Grand Rapids, having moved to Grand Rapids in 2007. Well, good morning, friend in Grand Rapids who has a 707 area code to their phone because like me, when you moved, you didn't change your number. Yeah, I I, I get it. I totally get it, 100%. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for being here uh, today. All right, so um, we're going to talk with our friend Daniel Bennett up next. Um, some some national headlines um, before us today, a little bit of uh, conversation about the future of American politics. But um, I'm going to ask Daniel to reflect with me on the um, the nomination to serve as the next president of the University of Florida, a currently sitting senator named Ben Sass. Ben is a Ben Sass is a brother in Christ. Um, he is also, you know, a, a person gifted in higher education leadership. I mean, he's you know, he's one of those guys who's got lots of talents and gifts. We're going to talk about, um, you know, how he's entering into a place where he's clearly called to be the leader. But there is a lot, a lot of um, hmm, pushback. Um, I mean, a group of faculty members have like voted against him coming. There have been student protests already. Um, And so I just want to talk about sort of this time and place, not only in history, but in higher education um, and the value that we place on um, certain gifts, talents and abilities and the willingness of a person to move from one very high profile position of public service as a member of the U.S. Senate to another one that we might not think of as ministry, but it really is. So that's going to be up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I want you to think about how and where you are walking your faith out into the world that God so loves, and how are you doing that in ways that honor Jesus? Like, think about that for just a moment. Um, maybe you're a truck driver. Maybe you're a mail carrier. Maybe you are um, a, a volunteer. Maybe you are um, working in a crisis pregnancy center. Maybe you are um, offering people assistance in some particular way. Maybe you are a counselor um, of any variety. Maybe you are an educator again, of any variety, you are a servant of the living God, gifted and placed, and he's going to use you today. He's got divine appointments set for you. He's prepared good works in advance for you to do. And in all of human history, this is the time that he has ordained for you to live because he has something for you to do that's kingdom advancing today. Like you're it, like in a game of like big universal tag, you're it. You're it. Go be shiny. Daniel Bennett's up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Daniel Bennett is joining us now from John Brown University and the Uneasy Citizenship blog. You can find his substack at danielbennett.substack.com. Good morning, Daniel. Morning, Carmen. So Ben Sass, um, one of the co-authors of a 2004 book entitled Here We Stand, A Call from Confessing Evangelicals for a Modern Reformation. Uh, he also wrote um, wrote a book on... Um, like thinking in public, I think it was called "Vanishing Adulthood and the American Moment." Um, he he certainly has the competency to serve as a university president. Um, talk with us a little bit about your your uh, your sort of take on Ben Sass moving from the U.S. Senate 
to become the uh, president of the University of Florida, one of the one of the largest universities in the country. Yeah, so he's not the first political figure to take on one of these appointments. Uh, you know, most recently, the name that comes to mind is Mitch Daniels, the former governor of Indiana. And for a hot second, a kind of a rising star in the Republican Party, he served in the Bush administration's uh, Office of Management Budget. Uh, he was tapped to, he was, you know, urged to run for president a couple of times. In any case, he's now the president of Purdue University. And it kind of makes sense uh, for, to have these political figures like Daniels and now Sass take on these positions. Uh, you have to be an excellent administrator. You have to be good at building bridges with uh, different constituencies. You have to be an excellent fundraiser. You have to be essentially a lobbyist, right? Not in the negative sense of the word, but for the at least for public universities, <laughs> going to the state legislature with your handout effectively. And so someone like Sass with uh, not only academic credentials as a history PhD and a former university president, but also with his political acumen and just general demeanor, he is really the, the, the exact right kind of person to, to be a university president, uh, particularly one uh, that governs you know, tens of thousands of students and uh, thousands of staff and faculty. So um, I'm an alum of the University of Florida. It's my alma mater. So I have a particular interest in this. Um, and my parents met at Purdue. So I'm feeling like, uh, I, don't, I, I, I don't know, I'm feeling like perfect alignment today in the stars. There you go. Um, it's great. When things come together. <laughs> so um, there's already pushback. There are, you know, some current students who uh, have been, you know, protesting. Um, there are some members of the current faculty who, um, you know, uh, have no confidence in uh, in this appointment. I'm wondering, um, you know, in the same way that some football players or other or other players, you know, they'll move from team to team um, when the coach changes um, at the collegiate level. I'm wondering if people will transfer, like both at the both at the faculty level and at the student level, because of the appointment of a new president. Like, I don't know that we have a way to track that, but. If you're if you're genuinely convicted that I can't, you know, I, I can't abide this, then shouldn't you leave peaceably without creating schism? Um, and then on the flip side of that, if you're like me and you're a member of the uh, the alum, uh, you know, like you're an alum, but you don't give. Maybe now is the time that you sh that I should lean in and step up and say, hey, I actually appreciate this decision and I want to be supportive of the institution. Yeah. And this is the kind of tension that, that SAS is going to be tasked with. Uh bridging for, from day one. It would surprise me if we saw, you know, a lot of students decide, I don't want to go here after uh, Ben Sass becomes our university president. Number one, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not confident we're going to see a wholesale change in policy at the university, particularly ones that affect uh, students. Uh, so that, that would be more of a symbolic uh, resignation, uh, early resignation. You might see some faculty and staffs start to look for other positions, but higher ed is, is a difficult landscape to navigate. Uh, unless you're a real, you know, a real rock star professor, uh, it's kind of it's hard sometimes to, to to find jobs after you've been kind of rooted at a place for a number of years. So 
you know, you might see some dissent on campus. It would surprise me to see a, a mass exodus from, from faculty and staff, uh, the voices that are disapproving. Um, but you, but but on the flip side, you're right. You could see uh, people who were, you know, pleased with SAS's performance in the Senate all of a sudden say, you know what, uh, I'm not in the SEC, so I don't really have a dog in this fight. Uh, you know, I might I might consider sending my uh, you know kids to Florida or looking into this as an option for their future college. Maybe whip out the checkbook if I'm an alum, if you're if you're approving of this. But this is something that SAS also has to bridge if there's alumni who are disappointed, right? He's going to have to have those kinds of conversations and say, look, you know, there's a lot that's been written about me, a lot that's been said about what this appointment means. But at the end of the day, I'm a higher educate. I, I I am a veteran of higher education. I want to see the University of Florida succeed. Wow. And one of the ways we do that is by coming together and continuing this mission. So uh, it is going to be an interesting few years. It's a big challenge for him. And I think, you know, if he thinks politics in the Senate are bad, wait until he gets back into the politics of higher ed. Yeah, the politics of higher ed, that in and of itself could just be its own conversation. Hey, let's pivot and talk about uh, politics writ large. Uh, We are on election eve of a variety. It's not an election eve where there's a presidential election, but a lot of people have already voted, um, like incredible numbers. And turnout is actually expected to be really high for a midterm election. Talk with us. Um, you've got you've got in your Substack right now. You've got um, a conversation here about the calcification of the future of American politics. I think it's helpful for people to understand where we are and where you see things going. Yeah. So this term calcification comes from a recent book from two political scientists, actually three political scientists, uh, who for the last several years have covered uh, the aftermath of presidential elections. And I typically don't like to read those books because it's a lot of inside baseball and a lot of discussion of staff complaints and politicking. But these types of books also mix in social science research and political science studies. And in their book from 2020, following or rather this past year, following the 20 election, they started to see this interesting or started to see this trend continue wherein people's maybe approval of their own party or actions of their own party have you know, diminished or at least their satisfaction. But that doesn't mean they're all of a sudden going to join up with the opposite party. In fact, their views have become so hardened over the last, you know, several years and even a few decades, uh, calcified, rigid, uh, that they might, if you're a Democrat, you might say, well, you know, I really don't like the way the Biden administration has handled the economy and inflation. Maybe you're an old school Democrat you know, from from the New Deal coalition and say, ah, I don't know, this, this move toward identity politics really bothers me. But man, the Republicans are just so, so far out there. They, they want a world in which, you know, I would not be welcome. I don't want to participate in. So I can't I can never vote for them. And the flip side to that is true as well. If you're a Republican, you say, yeah, you know, this, this move towards uh, the Trump, maybe the Trumpy wing of the Republican Party. It's not really my thing, but Democrats are just so far off the deep end. There's no way I could vote for them as well. So we, this calcification comes from increased polarization, a lack of what political scientists call retrospective voting, where we in the past have voted based on conditions on the ground, right? How's the economy doing? Ronald Reagan famously in 1980, right? Are you better off than you were four years ago? Really famous mm-hmm. distillation of this mentality. Um, that's becoming less and less of an evaluation mark in American politics, which poses some problems. 
for accountability, how we how we keep government in check and how we reward good actions and punish bad ones. Calcification is taking those incentives away. And it's going to be interesting to see how this midterm lines up with that expectation. Yeah. And everyone from Pew Research to uh, the Harvard Gazette, I mean, have headlines about young people not only being miserable, but um, but viewing their prospects for the future as certainly more grim than a generation ago. Um, most people in the United States saying that young adults face more challenges than they faced at the same you know, age and stage of life and that um, the percentage of emerging generations who are going to, quote unquote, be better off than their parents, you know, is is way, way, way down. Like statistically, it's just not going to happen again um, in the foreseeable future that people are going to be, you know, quote, better off than their parents. Um, and where I think we really value um, the the middle class and the middle class um, experience in, in the United States of America, what that what that term means today has shifted pretty dramatically. And if, um, oh, if the guy in The Simpsons, Bart, uh, not Bart, Bart's the kid. What's the Simpsons Homer. guy? Homer. Homer so Simpson, Hom- yeah. So Homer Simpson would no longer, he would no longer be able at his wage and stage, uh, he would no longer be able to provide for his family at a middle class level. In fact, based on standards, I mean, he in his in that show would have already lost his home. But they're oh, not yeah. going to have him. They're not going to have him lose his home because, right? That is too sad, and it's a comedy. It's a you know, and so. But I just think that like people, the I don't know that people in the political sphere understand how hard it has gotten for the average person in America. Yeah, there's definitely a disconnect. Uh, And, you know, not every member of Congress or the Senate at the national level, you know, and we're focused on the national level right now, uh, you know, is is so far disconnected that they can't relate. But after, you know, after spending time in, in Washington and uh, a lot of these folks come from higher income positions. It's just hard to make those continuing connections. But, you know, my grandfather came back from World War II. My grandmother did as well. They got married in 1946. He was a salesman for Pennzoil. Uh, and he supported a family uh, on a, on one income, right? They had a farm and, you know, very comfortable living, pension and retired really nicely and supported, you know, my mom and and, and family uh, after they retired, uh, the middle class, what the definition of the middle class is, has just changed. Like you said, mm-hmm. uh, you know, now in the past, it may have been supporting one, you know, a family on one income. Uh, now it's, you know, being able to afford a house in some areas on two incomes and both parents working. And that's, that's not necessarily bad, but, but we need to talk about those, those changing definitions when we talk about what, uh, we're shooting for economically as, as a people. We're talking with Professor Daniel Bennett from John Brown University. Um, He posts at the Uneasy Citizenship blog on Substack, and I'm going to ask him to to reflect with us for a moment on an event that he recently hosted. Um, And we're going to talk about discerning truth in an untruthful world. There's a lot of tension, right, as people of faith in the political arena today, and a huge part of that is um, living in a culture that misunderstands or even denies the reality of truth. So what does it look like to discern truth in an untruthful world? We'll have that conversation with Daniel Bennett up next here on Mornings with Carmen. 
Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. I will trust where you lead. I will trust when I can't see. Wow, apparently we got some Simpsons fans out there. Yes, apparently, according to uh, one person, the Simpsons actually lost their home um, during uh, the 2016 season. And um, there was a confrontation with a new person who had moved to town who said you can't afford that um, on your union wage. And so there you go. Uh, apparently, Homer Simpson and the Simpsons are having the conversation about being middle class in America. And because I don't actually watch it, I sort of only know from the side what's happening. Daniel Bennett is here from John Brown University and the Uneasy Citizenship blog. Yeah, I don't know. Any more thoughts on the Simpsons before we pivot to another conversation? Yeah. Carmen, I could talk for hours on early seasons of The Simpsons. Uh, I'm an aficionado, as it were. See, who knew? Who knew? All right, uh, Paul, put that in the put that in the future notes um, for for the show. Like we, in, we um, need to talk Simpsons sometime with him. So. Yeah, sometime you're going to have to have him like make the connections between the headline news and The Simpsons. Let's That'll do it. Good. Let's do it. So, um, it, it, is the word? Uh, epistemic or epistemic? Mm. Is there a, how am I supposed to say this word that appears in this book about the crisis we are in related to truth in the world today? I don't know what the standard is. I've always said epistemic. Me too. I That's the way I wrote it. I think it sounds notes. better. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we're talking here about epistemology. Yes. How we know yeah. what we know yeah. and the questions of knowing and access to the truth. So this term, epistemic crisis, is used in a book, and it was used in conversations at a recent event that you had. So just kind of walk us into, um, you know, how we discern truth in an untruthful world. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, for the last few years, uh, JBU uh, and the Center for Faith and Flourishing at JBU has hosted a uh, conversation in the fall, Reimagining Faith in Public Life. And uh, it's usually been on some intersection of Christianity and politics or how we engage the culture. This year, uh, the theme was discerning truth in an untruthful world. We brought in Jeff Bilbro, who your listeners know. And uh, we also brought in Bonnie Christian, who's a journalist writer. I don't know if she's appeared on the program before, uh, but she, she, Coming up she wrote like a book next recently. Week. Great. Perfect. Yeah. Her book was out just a couple of weeks ago. It's called Untrustworthy. And uh, it, it really is a phenomenal book. And uh, she, she breaks down this, this idea that we are in an epistemic crisis in the United States, and, and, and not just the U.S., but the, the West in general. She focuses here at home. Um, it's this idea that we are having trouble, uh, increasingly, we're having trouble 
essentially understanding reality across different perspectives. So if you're on the right, if you consider yourself more conservative politically and ideologically, you might take a look at what's on the left and say, they're just inhabiting a different reality than I am. There's a lot of emphasis on individual expression, personal identity, experience that shapes your perception of reality, that if you don't have these experiences as, say, a Black woman, then you cannot understand uh, that person's perspective or that person's read of what truth is. Um, the truth is dependent on context to some extent. If you're on the left, on the other hand, you might take a look at what's happening on the right in increasing numbers and saying, just denying objective truths about, say, the 2020 election, about upcoming elections. Uh, and and uh, she, she distinguishes these two types of uh, kind of silos, but says each presents its own unique sets of problems for the country in terms of how we come together, not, not in a cheesy way, but just how we build community with one another. And she says this is also an important thing for the church to recognize, because at the end of the day, this really becomes a crisis of discipleship. Um, and it's incumbent upon pastors, church leaders to recognize this as we move forward to try to try to bridge those gaps and, and take people back from the brink, as it were. So that was the theme of the talk. Jeff talked about his recent book, Reading the Times, about be better practices for consuming news and information as Christians. Then they just had a really good conversation about how we how we try to discern what is true from what is not true. There's some good practical discussions, and I will mention it right now and then be quiet for a second. The uh, the Center for Faith and Flourishing does have a video of their exchange up on YouTube. So if you just search for Center for Faith and Flourishing, you can find our page and scroll down to the event, Discerning Truth in an Untruthful World. It's about an hour and a half. It really was a great conversation. All right. I will drop the direct link in the show notes today. Um, so you can grab those later at MyFaithRadio.com. Or if you subscribe to the show as a podcast, then it'll be in your um, in your notes right there uh, linked when your podcast um, populates today in your feed. So, um, so great. So uh, here's one of the things that you just said that I think is a huge part of discernment. I'm going to be quiet for a second. <laughs> so... I think that part of the challenge that we face, and obviously this is live radio, so I'm not allowed to leave a lot of like dead air. I'm not allowed to like have like, hey, let's have a moment of silence because people are like, what's wrong with my radio? So, but if we don't, if we're never quiet, even for a second, we can't discern. Like discernment is not possible without some individual and shared silence. Yeah, now. I, uh, it, it is a lost practice in this, in this day and age, uh, particularly when we're inundated with screens and information and people clamoring for attention. Uh, you know, you're tempted and in some, in some sense, you just feel the, the, the responsibility to respond instantaneously to whatever comes across your feed as you're scrolling your app of choice. Uh, you need to respond quickly and without a lot of self-reflection. One of the things that I've done with uh, students the last couple of years when I've been teaching is take 15 minutes during a class and have them study an inanimate object in the room. Usually it's something that one of their classmates has brought with them that day, a book, a pencil or whatever. And we just sit in silence for 15 minutes. 
as they're studying these things. And at first it's awkward, but immediately it becomes extremely refreshing to the soul to just be, to just be quiet and take in the world around us. And that's a very small and probably insignificant example. But if we adopt that same mentality as we're perceiving the, these deeper questions and these more critical and, and, and important issues around us, I think we're going to be better off for it in the long run, especially as Christians called to be different from the world and the world's uh, uh, modus operandi right now is immediate gratification and attention seeking. We can be so mm-hmm. different. And I struggle with this. I know you struggle with this. It's not like we're talking from, you know, a place of superiority here, but my goodness, what an opportunity we have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you're listening right now and you're saying to yourself, I wouldn't even know how to begin this process, particularly with a group. Maybe you're on a board, maybe you're mm-hmm. on a church leadership team. Um, maybe you are um, in, in, a participant in an organization where you're like, we need some fresh discernment. Um, there, there's actually an organization called um, Attunement. So attunetogrow.org, attunetogrow.org, um, where you can get some help with this. If you want to just learn how to sit before the Lord and genuinely discern His will um, for your organization and its future, and you want to learn how to do it differently than sort of the strategic planning models of the past, um, let me let me encourage you to check it out, attunetogrow.org. Hey, Daniel, as always, thank you so much. We'll put all of the links to what we've talked about uh, in today's show notes. Thanks, Carmen. Yeah, absolutely. That's Daniel Bennett. You can find him at John Brown University. Um, at the Center for Faith and Flourishing. We talked about the Reimagining Faith in Public Life Conference, um, as well as things that are posted on Daniel's Substack, all of which we'll have links to in the show notes for today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right, what'd you do with your extra hour? Mm-hmm. Did you sleep? Did you socialize? Did you scroll? Did you stream? Mm-hmm. What did you do with your extra hour over the weekend? Did you worship? Did you converse? Were you silent? What did you do with your extra hour over the weekend? Let me know on the text line, 877-933-2484. What did you do with your extra hour over this weekend? Maybe you debated. Maybe you debated with somebody. Whether or not it's still relevant to have daylight savings time. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's how you used your extra hour. How'd you use your extra hour this weekend? I'd like to know. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next here on the Faith Radio Network. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.